and we did cover some of this in recent days, and then some we did not. So in Matthew chapter number 3, we'll look down in verse number 1. And as you're finding that, I did also meet someone from Pakistan today, and same, same neighborhood. I mean, it was just, it was like international neighborhood. And so they had a daycare sign on the house, you know, uh, uh, somebody's daycare. So I thought there'd be a lot of kids. So when she opened the door, she was dressed in kind of Eastern attire and she had a heavy accent and, and you know, I gave my invitation and I said, so where are you from originally? Where's the accent? And so she looked at me a little fearful. She said, I'm from Pakistan, but we love America very much, very much. We, we love America very much. I said, okay, okay, I'm not an interrogation officer. Just, but boy, she brought that out right away, and uh, it was amazing. Then I saw one today. You know, if nothing else, uh, soul winning just satisfies your curiosity. So I knocked on this uh, door, and they had this sign. They said, we are not politically correct. We still say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, man. Uh, we still salute the flag. We stand when the national anthem's being played. And so as soon as he opened the door, I said, I like that. I'm from Pakistan. I love that. No, no, I didn't say I'm from Pakistan, but so I pointed to the sign. Then I'm going down this street, and it wasn't the international street, and there's this hearst in the driveway. You know, hearst is what funeral homes use. And um, so they had a sign in the window of the hearse. It looked like it had been parked there a while. It said, no riders. Okay. So I walked up to the door and I thought, you know, it's like, you know, it's supposed to be funny. They had a big sign on the door. This house is haunted. And it didn't look like something they had ordered on eBay like three weeks ago for decorate. It was a permanent sign on the door. So now my curiosity's up. They get a hearse. The house is haunted. Ring the doorbell. Guys opens the door. He fits the part. He fits the part. As he opens the door, there's a skull on their wall. I mean, it's not decorations on the outside. It's a part of the house on the inside. He's got all kind of uh, um, decorations. And I'm inviting him to church. And he said, I am a... Satanist. I said, okay. He said, we will not be interested. I said, don't you guys like cartoons? And he just shut the door on me. So I got the hearse and I did, did see the haunted house. So if your life is boring, go soul winning. Go soul winning. You may not win anybody, but you'll have plenty of stories. You'll have plenty of stories. So here we are. Let's jump right in, please. Uh, the people called Baptists. Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 1. Notice, inspired God's word, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is not people speaking. This is God speaking. In those days came John the Baptist. So that is what God called him. Now, was his middle name the and his last name Baptist? I can't say that. But that was the description of who he was. God says, oh, John. Oh, yeah, the Baptist. That's God's description of him. Preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And then with that in mind, look over in Acts chapter 19. 
Who were these people called Baptists? We cannot say they had the Baptist title in the day of Jesus, uh, not the Christians. They were not called Baptists at that time. But notice in Acts 19, we see these, these um, um, exorcists, if you will, uh, trying to cast out demons. We see in Acts 19, and looking down into verse, oh, I believe it's down, here it is, verse 14. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, the chief, of, uh, the chief of the priests which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? So it's kind of interesting, those demons in hell, they knew who Jesus was, and they knew who one of the Christians was that was doing a lot of spiritual damage to Satan's kingdom. They knew who Paul was, but these guys, they didn't know. They didn't know who they were. And then with that in mind, let's look over in Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We see that there was a group of people that were persecuted and uh, went through horrendous uh, pain and suffering. So who were those people? Hebrews chapter 11. Let's look down in verse number 33. Uh, notice it's the hall of faith. We could also call it the hall of fame. Hebrews 11 and verse number 33. He says, Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. That would have been Daniel. Quenched the violence of fire. Probably uh, the three Hebrew children. Uh, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens or those attacking. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, slain with the sword, and on and on. In verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. And what a, what a great statement there. Uh, 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 the scripture saying, uh, these Christians went through uh, tremendous torment and pain. The world was not worthy of them. Let's have a prayer and then we'll just uh, get moving here. Father, bless now the brief time we have tonight. Help us as we look at the word Baptist and the people called Baptist. Is that what we are? Historically, are we Baptists? Uh, do we claim that title? What's that mean? I pray you'd uh, solidify some things in our hearts tonight because of the teaching in Jesus' name. Amen. So just filling in some notes here just quickly. The church and acts that Jesus built was all about... And I want you to look at this for a moment too in Acts 2. We're not going to look at everything tonight, but uh, some of these are key. In Acts chapter 2, uh, we see that uh, all these people get saved. Acts uh, 2.41, 3,000 get saved and get baptized. But then we see how it kind of ends up uh, in verse number 42. So this is the church that Jesus started. Acts 2 and verse 42. And they continued steadfastly. This is... The people Jesus uh, won, baptized, trained. Now he has left. They're still going. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread 
and in prayers. Look at the different pieces that were in this local church. Fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. All that believed were together and had all things common. They sold their possessions and goods. Part of them, they were generous to all men as every man had need. And they, they didn't quit, continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Seemed like they were always at church. And breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So here's what he's saying. So, So the church that Jesus started had some key ingredients. How would you recognize the type of church that Jesus started? In your notes here, here it is. It was all about prayer. They prayed a lot. I mean, they were gathering. Sometimes they'd just gather in a room and they'd all kneel down and pray. Hey, there's a need. So-and-so's got a need. Let's pray. I remember when my wife was in the hospital, uh, uh, several times people uh, uh, just texted me and said, a group of us has met at the church. We're praying for your wife right now. Uh, We're at the altar right now praying for your wife. Uh, That was just a, a key ingredient of that early church. When they saw a need, hey, hey, let's pray for them right now. And they did that. So there was prayer, and then there was assembling. They were, they were constantly getting together, assembling. Then they were praising God. They had something good to say about the Lord. God is good. Let me tell you what God's done for me. They were constantly, uh, uh, specifically praising God. Then it was all about the Bible, says the apostles' doctrine. When they got together, the apostles opened the Bible and taught them something out of God's word. It wasn't just a dance. It, it, well, it never was a dance. It wasn't a, a bingo on Friday night. It was they learned something from the Bible and souls getting saved. Uh, that last part, uh, 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 the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So these were the highlights of the type church Jesus started. And then you'll see this as well. Then they also were a persecuted church. Notice in Acts chapter number, uh, Acts chapter number six. So here it is. The church has just started. It's not, a, not even a year old since Jesus has left. Acts six, verse eight. And Stephen, full of power, uh, did great wonders and miracles among uh, the people. There arose certain of the synagogue, which uh, was called the synagogue of the, all those people. Verse 10, they were not able to resist his wisdom. And they end up, uh, verse 13, setting up false witnesses and they arrest him. And then chapter 7 is his arrest. And now he's preaching. And at the very end of chapter 7, he is stoned to death for preaching the word of God. You don't see other religions having all that persecution to their people. There was a group of people that Jesus called a church and they, uh, they prayed, they assembled, they had people saved, uh, they learned the Bible, but they were persecuted. These were those people. And then in ch- uh, chapter 8, verse 1, Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was great persecution against the church that was at Jerusalem. Chapter 9, verse 1, and Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter. So we see this, Acts 16, need not turn there. Paul and Silas are beaten with the whips and put in prison. So this persecution has always followed the church that Jesus started, always. Now let's just have a couple of the photos here and then maybe I'll read you just a little background. Uh, so on the persecution, there were, there were many that were burned at the stake. 
And oftentimes they were burned at the stake because they would not baptize their babies. And this, this false teaching came up through the Catholic Church. They said if you do not baptize the baby, the baby will go to hell. Any parent that doesn't care if their child goes to hell, we ought to take the child away from you and burn you at the stake. So 50 million Christians were martyred. We call it the dark ages. Why the dark ages? Because people were not allowed to have the light, the word of God and the truth. Oftentimes, their relatives would run up as the fires were being lit and they would say, don't recant, hang on, you're about to go to heaven, don't back down now. And they would cheer them on to finish strong. Some of these burning at the stakes would preach to the crowd that was there. Some were drowned. Next. This is a very famous painting, probably one of my favorites. Here's, here's all these people being burned at the stakes. Some of the fires in the background, the Colosseum. The Christians are huddled together. Now they're releasing the wild animals. Some of us that got to go to the Colosseum, I don't know if we'll ever get to do that trip again, but we were in the Colosseum where these animals would have come out. Just an amazing thing. They were persecuted. Nero, a maniac, he would dip the Christians in oil and light them on fire at night so he could drive through on his horse throughout his gardens. They were hated. They were just hated. How come? It was the Satan in them hating the Christ in us. A persecuted church. Wasn't the Catholic church that was persecuted. Wasn't the Presbyterian church that was persecuted. Wasn't the Methodist church. It was the Baptists. Those not always Baptists in name, but Baptists in practice. Not always everything we do, but much of the same things that we still do today. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate that. Let me just get this. Can we have the lights? Cardinal Hosius, Catholic Church, 1524, in the Council of Trent. Were it not that the Baptists had been grievously tormented and cut off with the knife during the past 1,200 years, they would swarm in greater number than all the Reformers. 1530, the edict from uh, the Council of St. Paul. All who adhere to or favor the false sect of the Baptists and attend the hedge meetings shall suffer the most severe punishment Baptist leaders, their followers and protectors shall be drowned without mercy. June 10th, 1535, a furious edict was published in Brussels. Death by fire was the punishment of all Baptists. And uh, uh, we go on and on. And this is in one of the one steps here. But it, it just goes on to say that the Baptists were those uh, 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 that, were, that were in the sights for the persecution. Okay, quickly here. The... The acrostic for the word Baptist, and I know we've done this before, but I've got some new material. B, it stands for Bible, is the authority. The B, and I love the song, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. If you speak Spanish, the B-I-B-L-I-A. Yes, that's the book. You'll get it later. Biblia. Okay. Forget it. Go back to sleep. We'll wake you up when it's Halloween. Time for the uh, cornbread and the, and the, and the chili. So, uh, Bible is the authority. So here's a question. Do we have a Bible? You ever hear this? 
You ever hear someone say, well, men wrote the Bible. And it's been written and rewritten so many times. How do we know this is the real Bible? Well, just give you a couple verses. In Matthew chapter 4, you need not turn to it. Jesus is speaking. He's being tempted by the devil. And here's what he says. It is written. Man shall not live by, help me here, bread alone. But by next word, starts with the letter E, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So Jesus said, you can't live without every word of God. All right. If we can't live and have an abundant life without every word of God, why wouldn't he give us every word that he wanted us to have? That'd be frustrating for God to say, live by every word. Well, you didn't give us every word. Say, we believe he's given us every word. We believe this book is the Bible in English for the English-speaking people. Then here's another verse. In 2 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, preach the, and the next word starts with a W, word. word. How can you preach the word if you don't have a copy of the word? So God is not into frustrating us. And then in the notes here, if God can inspire the word of God, he can preserve the word of God. Amen. You can look at it later. We've got other verses to see. But the reference is in your notes there. It's Jeremiah chapter 36, where the king is reading the scroll. Jeremiah ha- has dictated the word of God to a secretary, Baruch, this male secretary. Here's God's word. The king starts reading it, cuts it. Throws it in the fire. I mean, that had taken a long time to write that book by hand. God says, get your scroll. All right, Jeremiah, write you another copy with all the same words. Well, how hard was that? The Bible's always been in heaven. Amen. Jeremiah didn't have to remember all those words. God just redictated it again to him. Uh, You cannot burn. You cannot mutilate God's word. It is eternal in the heavens. You you can't get rid of it. You can't defeat it. So we have a Bible. Now, quickly here, we don't say much about this, but on a Wednesday night, KJV, King James Version, is called the authorized version. Authorized version. And so even if you looked at your Bibles right now, it would say uh, somewhere on there, uh, at, uh, uh, in the very uh, beginning on one of the uh, pages of content, this is the authorized version. Okay, for instance, I'm working on a book about a person. Uh, it's a uh, very well-known person. So if he writes the book about himself, it's called a auto, autobiography. If, if he asks someone, hey, I want you to do my biography, that's called the authorized version. But when you're famous, anyone can do your biography from, well, I met him eight times, I'm going to write about it in a book. So that's an unauthorized. He's not giving you permission, but you can because they're a national celebrity. So the king, King James, in England said, I want there to be the Bible not just in the temple, not just in church, not just the rich people have a copy. I want every layman to be able to have, the common people to be able to own a copy of God's word. So I am authorizing 
financing, making sure we get 47 scholars who know Greek, Hebrew, and who can agree on this word is this in English. This is the, yeah, this is the translation here. He said, we're going to authorize this to take place. That's why it's called the authorized version. Okay, follow me? All right, so that's kind of deep. Deep. We're swimming. No, we're not swimming. This is easy. So 47 translators. If God can inspire, God can preserve. Now, I just want to say this. This book here, the King James, all the great revivals in America were preached out of this book. It was printed in 1611. Our nation... Is being birthed. The pilgrims starting to come across. The Mayflower's coming across. Uh, all these things are starting to happen. So the great revivals were preached out of the authorized King James Bible. Our presidents have been sworn in on this Bible. Uh, the quotes in Congress, the quotes on the buildings, the quotes, the Declaration of Independence, the Bible quotes are taken from this Bible. There's something special about this Bible. Now, I want to say this. New versions were often about making money or easing in error. Okay, for instance, let me just say this. and I'm not going to go on a tirade on it, but right now uh, there's a new version that just came out. It's called the New King James Version. And someone says, oh, they've spent years coming up with the New King James Version. Well, what have they done? They've taken the these and nows and put you and me or you and them. You mean someone spent years to change thee to you and thou to you and they have to reprint the whole Bible? I mean, it was, it was, it was that difficult. You think it's really people so concerned that the whole world would understand the word of God or maybe new version, more money. New verse. Some people are going to buy that. Millions of people are going to buy it. The new kings. So you just want to stick with the old. Amen. You just Amen. want to stick with the old. Someone said, well, I just can't understand that. Be careful. It's written with a fifth grade mentality. So be careful what you say. Fifth grade. Fifth graders, for the most part, would know most of these words in this book. Now, like with anything, if you don't have a huge vocabulary, you get a dictionary and you look up a word. Well, I don't know what the word governance means. What's the word champagne mean? Did they have champagne in the Bible days? No, it was talking about the landscape. And, and so some things you have to look up anyway. Oh, okay, let's just, I've got 10 minutes, forget it. Okay, number next. So sometimes it's uh, sometimes they're easing in error. In some of the versions, the NIV and some ASV, some of these, and, and you can look at all of it. You know, we're not going to put up thousands of quotes here. But here's the little subtle change. Here it is. King James, Mary and Joseph went to the temple with Jesus. Get it? Okay, we know who it is. New version. Jesus' mother and father went to the temple with Jesus. See the difference? Mary and Joseph. No, his mother and father. Oh, so if Joseph is his father, he's not virgin born. He's not the son of God. He's not the savior. One little change and one little sentence. Do you think that was an accident? 
in some of these translations. There's, there's things coming with that corrupt text. And that's a whole study. We don't have time for it tonight. But B stands for Bible is the authority. Now, here's some just basic rules of interpretation. I want to give you this. How do you know you're getting the right meaning when you look at the Bible? Several quick rules. Here it is. Number one, no private interpretation. No private interpretation. I'll read the verse. The reference is there unless you want to turn to it. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse number 20, here's what the Bible says. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, what do you mean by that? Okay, it's saying, someone says, well, that's how you see it. But that's not how I see it. Wait, wait, wait. When God wrote the Bible, he had one meaning for that verse. Here's what I meant. Uh, Now, some verses will be harder to understand. But God is trying to let us understand what he wants, so he's trying to make it clear. Now, okay, for instance... Okay, just help me real quick. Take out the trash, all right? One parent says, take out the trash. Let's say it differently. You ready? Okay, just help me. Just anybody in this section here. Just, how would you say that different? Take out the garbage. Anything else? Take the gray can to the street. Okay, anybody else? Anybody? Whole church? How? Put the cans out. Okay, so there may be different ways to say it, But there's one meaning there. Get that garbage to the street. Okay. Now, the Word of God has one meaning. It can have lots of applications. For instance, uh, the verse that says, Thou shalt not kill. As you look at that, you say, Wait a minute. God told people to kill animals, to sacrifice. God told Israel to go conquer this nation. So it doesn't mean war. It's talking about premeditated murder. But application, drunk driver runs over and kills someone. He's broken that commandment. Someone lost their temper, went wild, became the Tasmanian devil and injured and killed somebody. Yeah, that would be that too. And, 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 and on and on and uh, negligent homicide. You're just many of these things. So many applications. One interpretation. Here's what the verse means. A lot of times people just, oh, you know, y'all take it this way and we take it. No, no, no. God has one meaning for it. No private interpretation. Number two, second rule quickly here is this. Number two, compare scripture with scripture. The greatest commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Forget by, well, what's the greatest commentary? This right here. Just read this over and over and over. This will explain this and this will explain this. And who is this? He'll, he'll, he'll come out over here. Nothing's wrong with consulting uh, some great uh, uh, commentary. But remember, commentaries are comments. That guy has studied. He says, here's what I think it means. Commentaries are not inspired. God's word is inspired. So number two, uh, three, define Bible words by Bible usage. So in the book of James, God says, uh, be perfect. Uh, The book of Job says, and Job was a perfect man. We say, wow, he must have never sinned. He was perfect. Wait, wait, wait. Find out what that word perfect means. Compare verses with it. It means mature, complete. You look at all the times perfect is used. It doesn't mean sinless and it never sinned. Compare Bible words with Bible usage. Number four, 
Here's a key. Do not build major doctrine on obscure verses. On obscure verses. You're reading over in Revelation something real wild and crazy. And, well, that's what the Bible says. Here's a verse in First uh, 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 John that says, it says, And he that is born of the Spirit shall not sin. Okay, so what do you do with that verse? I'm born of the Spirit. I'm saved. Shall not sin. Ooh, well, either I'm not saved or that's not what that verse means. And then you start looking at all the Bible characters. Simon Peter cussed after he got saved, so I guess he sinned after he got saved. Uh, we know Samson sinned after he got saved. A lot of people sinned after they got saved. So it doesn't mean what... So what's that? So don't build a major verse on something you don't even understand. Amen. There's enough of this book to live without getting tied up on a verse you get hung up on. Ask someone, maybe someone who knows the Bible better could maybe help explain that verse, but don't build an entire uh, doctrine on one verse that's real strange to you or obscure. Number, uh, quickly, remember the Bible never contradicts itself. Never contradicts itself. Well, it says this over here. It says this over here. Is it contradicting? Nope. We just don't get it if it looks like it contradicts. Quickly here. We got about eight minutes. The local church was birthed during the Roman Empire. There were many religions. Here we are quickly. Everybody listening. Judaism. That was the Jews' religion. Old Testament. Following the law of Moses. The Messiah is going to come. Number two. Pagan religions. Pagan religions. In Acts chapter 17. You'll see it later. I had the privilege of getting on top of Mars Hill, I think it's called Areopolis. And uh, it was a spot where uh, the Apostle Paul looked out and saw all these monuments. And this one was maybe to Diana. And this uh, one was maybe to uh, this, this God or this God. And then there was one monument to the unknown God. You know, in case we left somebody out, this is to the unknown God. And it said they passed their time and doing nothing else but hearing some news and talking and discussing. Paul stood up and he said, uh, I want to preach about this one right here. The unknown God. It's the one you don't know. And Paul, Paul just, just preached it. But it was a lot of paganism during those days. Amen. And then also it was a lot of philosophies. So in your notes, all three of these were blended in Rome. Judaism, pagan religions, and the philosophies. They hear something kind of cool. Just want to show it to you. Just a little symbolism here. But in Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, we have the word church mentioned uh, in relationship to Moses. Kind of sounds strange, doesn't it? But Acts chapter 7 and verse number 35, notice what it says. Okay, here it is. Uh, 36. He brought them out after that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea. Remember? Blood on the doorpost. Red Sea. They went through the water and then the wilderness 40 years. That is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, Prophets shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness. With the angel was spake unto him. In the Mount Sinai with uh, our fathers who received the lively oracles, gave them unto us. So something, something about 
the local church, and here's Moses here. One, it was called out of the world. So the word uh, uh, church always means called out assembly. So that means this. If a church is worldly, it's not a church. By definition, it's not a church. And it's interesting. Some of them don't even call themselves church. In our lifetime, they've started taking the word church off the sign. And that's probably good because they're not a church. Name, maybe not here in town, but let's just name some signs you've seen on churches, but they don't have the word church. Okay, just give me. Edge. Okay, Father's house. Anybody? I mean, just somewhere you've seen one. What? I can't hear you. I'm sorry. Jehovah. It's it's just a building. It says just Jehovah on it. Okay. Anybody else here? Okay. Living water. What? Okay. I've seen vine, branch, water, edge. It's, it's just amazing. They don't want the word church on there. It's just kind of interesting. There's no such thing biblically as a worldly church. If it's of the world, it's no longer a church. Because assembly means called out, called out of what? Moses. They were called out of Egypt. That, that picture of the world, a called out assembly. Red Sea, baptized believers, living oracles who centered around the word of God. Just kind of deep, but there it is. In 1455, little history, something changed the church. And that was the Gutenberg Press. For years, it would take you five years wages to be able to purchase a copy of the entire Bible. Five years. Gutenberg Press where they had the movable press that could print huge pages of the Word of God, it printed millions of copies. So the common people were able to read God's Word. That's what took place. Okay, the A, quickly here, autonomy of the local church. Autonomy just means not a part of a denomination. Self-governing, an island, if you will. The Bible's filled with local church, the church at Corinth. In the book of Revelation, the church at Philadelphia, the church at uh, Laodicea, it, it, uh, there were churches in a city. P, priesthood of the believers. No mediator is needed but Jesus. There's one God, one mediator. There's the scripture. T, two offices, pastor, deacon. There's where that's found. In the book of Acts chapter 6, we see where the deacons are first mentioned. And the word means servant. Notice what they did, Acts 6, 1. In those days, the number of disciples was multiplied. There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Uh, some people in the church, their needs were not being met. Then the 12 apostles called the multitude of disciples unto them, said it's not reason we should leave the word of God and serve tables. They're saying, man, we're doing good preaching and discipling. Our job is to get the word out, not go get groceries for these widows. Verse 3. Wherefore, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. 
We'll give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the church is averaging about 48,000 people at this time. They choose seven deacons. Some churches average 40 and they want 12 deacons. And so the Bible never says how many, but there were servants that took stuff off the pastor's plate so he could do what he was supposed to do. And then it says that they prayed for them. It lists their names in verse 5. Two of them were Philip and Stephen. Philip the evangelist and Stephen who was martyred. So there is where that's found. And then the I, quickly, I want to spend a little time on this tonight. Individual soul liberty. Individual soul liberty. What's that mean? We believe that we are at liberty to receive Christ as Savior. We're not born saved. We're not predestined into being saved. God did not choose us to be saved and choose someone else to be lost. And that, that doctrine is spreading all over America right now. Some people call it Calvinism uh, from John Calvin. Some people call it predestination. Look over here for just a moment. And we see in uh, Romans chapter 8, if you will. We don't touch on this much and we'll buzz through here. We're hurrying. Uh, Romans chapter 8. Here we go. This is meat. And so... Here we go. Anyone drowning yet? All right. So Romans 8, very famous verse. You know it. Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We love that verse. We believe it. Romans 8, 28. Next verse. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate. Who's ever heard that word predestinate? So here's what some people will say. They'll say, all right, God picks you to be saved. He's predestined. You're going to get saved. You can't get saved. You can't get saved. He's going to save you. going to save you. No, you can't get saved. He's... They really believe whosoever doesn't mean whosoever. Amen. So you're either damned from birth or going to be delighted at birth. You have no choice. And that's where they get that. They take that verse whom he has predestinated. The word predestined means predetermined. Okay? And we'll give that to you in just a second. But notice the rest of the verse. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate. There it is. He's predestinated. What? To be conformed to the image of his son. So God is saying, here's my plan. Everyone who gets saved, I predetermined. I'm going to work on you until you look like Jesus. And all that is, is just Christian growth. That's all that means. God is predetermined. He's going to do everything possible during our lifetime to form us to be like Jesus. So don't let that word scare you. Uh, look over to Ephesians 1 for a moment. And here's what I really like. Ephesians 1. And we see uh, these words are mentioned here. But I want you to see it just quickly. And notice, and I think it'll be a, a simple, simple comparison here we are, Ephesians 1, and it says in verse number 3, blessed, is, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. So that's what chapter 1 is about, all these blessings He's given us. So what are these blessings? You could circle them if you want, verse 4. According as He has, number 1, chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. 2, that we should be holy. 3, 
without blame before him in love. That's what forgiveness is. Verse five, having predestinated, look, there it is again, us unto the adoption of children. So number four, he's adopted us uh, according to the good pleasure of his will. Verse six, to the praise of, uh, uh, of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us, next one, number five, accepted in the beloved. Verse seven, in whom we have redemption. That's number six. The forgiveness, that's number seven, according to the riches of his grace. Uh, 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 then he says in verse eight, uh, uh, hath abounded toward us wisdom and knowledge. So all of these things, verse nine, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. It's about 10 blessings there. Now, who are these for? Verse 13, in whom ye also trusted after ye heard the word of truth. Those people who get saved. Okay. Okay. Old timers. Let's find out. Anybody over 60, you ready? Anybody ever send a quarter and you join the Mickey Mouse Club? Do we have any old Mickey Mouse members, the Mouseketeers? Unbelievable. I guess this is, this must be caveman or something. But years ago, they'd have a Mickey Mouse show on television, M-I-C-K, and they would do the little secret symbol, the little mouse. And at the end, they would say, now, children, if you would like to be a Mickey Mouse Club member, send in 25 cents, address it to this envelope. We will send you, get this, we have predetermined we have predestinated. We've got a package we're going to give you. You send the quarter. You get the club card. You get the secret mouseketeer pledge. And you get the symbol of how to hold your hands up for your own ears. It is predetermined. You send the money in. You get that whole package. Now, Ephesians 1 says, you get saved. God says, I've predetermined. I've predestinated, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to choose you. I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to show you uh, the mystery of my will. I'm going to uh, inhabit you. I'm going to give you wisdom. The book will be yours. It's a package deal. The moment you accept Christ, you get the package. That's all it means. Amen. God has predetermined you get the package. Amen. He does not predetermine who accepts his son. That's your choice. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If he didn't mean whosoever, he should have pulled that out 118 times out of the Bible. That's the thought. A lot of television guys are going that way. Some TV guys, some authors are leaning that way. Churches who used to be soul winning churches, they've stopped. How come? Someone got so deep in the word they couldn't come up for air. And so they don't think God saves anybody anymore. It's killed their bus ministry, killed their soul. It's killed everything. Just a thought there. Just, just wanted to say that. Amen. Okay, so quickly here. Uh, where are we? Uh, number S, separation of church and state. Let me just give you the blanks. Next, two ordinances. T stands for two ordinances, Lord's Supper and baptism. S, separation from the world. There's a couple of verses. Now, take your Bibles, if you will, just for a second. Separation from the world. We see in Hebrews chapter 13. And these are two real good verses. Two real good verses. Notice Hebrews 13 and verse 11. It says, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. So, they would offer the animal as a sacrifice. But remember, 
That was the meat, the skin, the innards, a lot of those things they would take outside the camp, outside the city and burn the rest of it. That's where the lepers lived. Those who were diseased, they had to go outside the camp. It was a place of reproach. But notice what it says here too. In Hebrews 11, it says, where are we? Hebrews 13, I'm sorry. And verse number 12. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate or outside the camp. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Now, what's that mean? Separation from the world. That's why some people want to live worldly because there is a reproach that comes with living a separated life from the world. Amen. Oh, there's those church people. Why? It's in clothing. It's in lifestyle. Maybe it's some things you do and some things you don't. Some things you drink, some things you don't drink. Some places you go, some places you don't go. Why? Because there's going to be some reproach with that. Amen. I remember years ago when the long hair on men was a uh, big, big thing. And my brother was getting his band started. He was the first one in town to have bell-bottom pants. First one in the whole city. We laughed at him. We said, Tommy, look at the pants. These are the stupidest thing. He says, one day, every guy in our city will have these. And I remember someone said, well, Tommy, look right here in the Bible. It says, it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Here's what he said. I wish that wasn't in the Bible. He didn't want the reproach. He wanted to fit in here and fit in here. You don't get both. You don't get the respect here and get the respect there. Amen. Sometimes they're going to misunderstand us, think we're nuts, think we're kooks. And I don't think you have to act kooky everywhere you go. They ought to respect us for our life and our joy and our stand. So let's finish this up here. So that marks of a a Baptist, separation from the world. The last S, notice we're stuttering. Baptists. There's two S's on the end of Baptists. The last one stands for soul winning. Acts 5. Ye have turned Jerusalem upside down with your doctrine. Now, you help me. Did they have gospel tracts back then, Jonathan? You know church history. I don't think they had print and press. Hey! Design us a track, Jaden. Come on, get us, get us some tracks in Ju Judean language or something. Take a picture of the empty tomb. It's still there. So if they didn't have tracks to put on the doors, how did they fill Jerusalem with the doctrine? They must have talked. Hey, we're from First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. Well, I don't know if that was a name. We're from the church. We just want to tell you, we saw Jesus. He rose from the dead. Can we tell you about it? It was house to house, people to people. They were sharing the story. Confrontational. They opened their mouth. They didn't just come to church. Amen. During the week, they were telling others, have you heard? He rose from the dead. It was true. He didn't just feed the multitude. He died on the cross. His tomb is empty. He's, alive. He's changed my life. 
He's better than the rules in Judaism. He's better than Moses. He's better than keeping just the Ten Commandments. And, and on and on it goes. Let me just give you the blanks here because we're not going to be on this anymore. Here it is. God has promised to preserve the children of God. Once we're saved, we're saved forever. Number two, the Word of God. The Word of God never changes the flower, uh, the grass. It dies, but the Word of God endureth forever. Three, the church of God. The church will never cease to exist. It can be persecuted. It can be burned at the stake. There will always be a Bible-believing church. How come? Jesus started it. He said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now quickly, in the early church, they had problems. You help me. Why do you think the early church had some problems? The church that Jesus started. You ready? It's a secret. You ready? Because they had people. I'm shocked, Pastor. Okay. Here it is. Look, they had a traitor. His name was Judas. That's the blank. They had a backslider. His name was Simon Peter. They had a doubter. That was the blank. His name was Thomas. They had quitters. That whole crowd that turned around and left Jesus. They had false teachers, Galatians 1, and they had compromisers in Acts chapter 11. Now quickly here, the attacks on the church, and then we're done. After Jesus ascended, there were those in the church that tried to change the direction and the doctrine. So here's the attack on the church. Let's change the direction of the church. Let's keep it together, but just kind of get it off track. And then they tried to change the doctrine. Four, four attacks. One, they attacked God's word. Satan changed it slightly. You remember? He, he told Eve, uh, thou shalt not surely die. Uh, you can't eat every tree. Thou shalt not. And he twisted some of the words. Number two, they attacked the doctrine of salvation. Paul said, who, who bewitched you? Number three, they attacked the leadership. And in Acts 20, it said that the said that the um, said that the wolves would come in from the outside. They would come and try to devour the members. Then there would be wolves from within. People trying to uh, get folks to follow them. Wolves. I preached a whole sermon one time, just wolves. And so they were there to attack the leadership. Then number four, they attacked the doctrine of Jesus. And anytime you study the doctrine of Christ, these six have to be believed. The virgin birth, deity of Christ, Jesus was God, sinless life. Isn't that attacked all the time in movies? Oh, the, uh, uh, the last temptation of Jesus, when Jesus sent. Whole movie about Jesus sinning. Oh, they found Jesus' tomb, found out he was married. And he had a bunch of lies. And so virgin birth, deity of Christ, sinless life of Christ, substitute death that was on the cross, bodily resurrection, and the second coming. The Baptist church. Amen. I'm glad I'm a Baptist. I didn't label me, but historically, what we're talking about, we're Baptists.